Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. Yes, Lord, thank you that we can be here tonight, Lord, and you know, thank you that you build your church for then. You know, thank you, like Mario also just said, Lord, we are here for you, Lord, not because of what you can give, Lord, or because of what you can do for us. Although you can do great things, Lord, and you bless us abundantly, we are here for you, Lord, and, and we are here to meet with you, Father, and thank you that you are the one that brings us together, Lord, and each and everyone here, Father, has an encounter with you tonight, Lord. Yeah, Holy Spirit, we just pray for you to come and do your work. Father, all is in vain unless you come, Lord, and do your work. In Jesus' name, amen. Cool guys, so like Anu shared, me and Werner this last while have been preaching similar sermons the morning and then the evening. We did that last week. And just to check, I asked the morning service a, a question because like Anu said, we do have a kind of a funny name so far. Now for Afrikaans people, it's a bit more funny. So what the shofar is, it's a ram's horn that they used in the Old Testament to anoint people or maybe to blow it to call for war. So in Afrikaans, it's ram's wurring. So who of you, if you can quickly have a vote, do you think we should change the Afrikaans name to ram's wurring? Or should we keep it shofar? Who says ram's wurring? There's always four ram's wurrings in the house. Okay, and then obviously shofar the rest. Yeah, let's keep it the same. I don't think anybody will come to you if you invite them to church and they ask, okay, yeah, who are you guys? No, we're Ramsworing. <laughs> I don't think they'll, they'll follow you. Um, but enough joking around to get to the sermon for tonight. Tonight's topic, encountering the real Jesus. You know, this morning was Hannah's um, baby dedication for those of you who know Hannah and Nicolene. They have a little girl, her name, is, her name is Hannah, and it was her baby dedication. And Werner actually asked this question, and he said, you know, he thinks about Hannah, and he, he asked himself the question, you know, if Hannah were to come to Shofar in 20 years' time, what would she find? You know, would she encounter people that still have an authentic faith that is still busy serving the real Jesus, or, you know, would she come here and, and maybe find something different? And we preached on the, the same passage, Werner just took a, a little bit out of it and then he jumped around speaking about the leaven of the Pharisees going to different portions of scripture to speak about the false teachings of the Pharisees and he addressed a couple of things, you know, hypocrisy, pretending to be who we are not, you know, if, if she comes in 20 years, might she find that? And how do we guard against that? You know, how do we guard against hypocrisy? But the only way is to encounter the love of Jesus and then we can show our bad side as well as our good side. No need to be hypocrites about it. And they also spoke about dead religion. And then also about the desire to be seen by men. You know, that is some of the leaven of the Pharisees. But today, or tonight actually, we're just going to look at another misconception of the Pharisees and another great misconception of the world. And that is, who is Jesus? And in this passage of Scripture, as we're going to read through that later, Jesus asks his disciples two questions. First, who do people say that I am? And this sermon also comes from intercession. And then, who do you say that I am? And then just to quickly ask us the question, you know, how do we know that we are not serving a made-up Jesus? How can we really know? You know, maybe 
you've made up the Jesus that you serve yourself. You know, a lot of people do that. I did it when I was young. Made up my own Jesus. Stuff about Jesus, you know, and there's similarities and certain things that are true of Jesus, but in essence, it's actually just a made-up Jesus that I like to serve. Or maybe someone else made up Jesus, you know, a, a Jesus that they like, and through tradition and maybe through generations, that idea of Jesus was pitched to you and you believed that idea of Jesus. But how do we know that we are not serving a made-up Jesus? You see, because when those two questions get asked, you know, who does the world say that Jesus is, and who do we say Jesus are, then it should be two different answers. You know, if, if ever we encounter ourselves saying that we have the same idea of the world to who Jesus is, then we're in a bit of trouble. And it's a very important question to ask because this affects every part of our lives. The God concept that we have, and everybody has one, even the atheist. He just believes that there is no God. And so what he does is because there's no God and he just believes in all things material, he lives for all things material. As much of the things that I can accumulate now, I'm going to accumulate because there is no God. There's no life after death. There's no heaven and no hell. So I'm just living for now. So he tries to make the most out of now. But for us as Christians that believe in God, eternity with God, heaven and hell, we're supposed to live differently. You see, we, we can't live for the year and now, but we live for eternity with God. We're supposed to be. So you see, the, the way we view God should affect every area of our lives. We should live differently. You see, and the wrong idea about God leads to different places. You know, maybe seeking God for certain things that lead to different places. But whenever we encounter the real Jesus... It will lead to us surrendering everything we have to Him and letting Him lead us into life. So I'm making a bit of a proposition statement there and we're going to work towards that place. And I'm actually so blessed by Murray's word that he brought because we don't seek God for what God can give us. That is idolatry. Then we're seeking a gift. But we're seeking God for who He is. And that is what we're going to address tonight. So you can read with me on the screen. Matthew 16 verse 1. And the Pharisees and Sadducees came, and to test him, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. He answered them, When it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. But no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. When he speaks about the sign of Jonah, he's speaking about his death and resurrection. When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. Jesus said to them, Watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they began discussing it among themselves, saying, We brought no bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, O oh, you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive? Do you not remember the five loaves for the five thousand and how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the four thousand and how many baskets you gathered? How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread. 
but of the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned to Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, you are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Okay, quite a, a large passage of scripture, but not as large as last week we did John 4. That was quite a mouthful. Um, but you know, just to quickly ask yourself, how would you respond if Jesus were to say to you, get behind me, Satan? I don't think that would be nice. And I, I just imagine Pete, you know, he's feeling pretty chuffed about himself because Jesus just gave him the keys of the kingdom of heaven, telling him, you know, that whatever he bounds will be bound, whatever he loosens will be loosed in heaven. And now just a couple of moments after that, Peter gets it wrong. Uh, but nonetheless, that, that is a sermon for another day. If we can quickly go there to the first slide, just to break it up into pieces, and I want to show us three things that God's really highlighted throughout this week in this passage of Scripture. Matthew 16, verse 6, Jesus said to them, Watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And then Galatians 5, verse 9, A little bit of leaven leavens the whole lump. 2 Timothy 4, verse 3, For the time is coming when people will not endear sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. You see, like I spoke about, Werner focused on that specific scripture in Matthew 16 verse 6 this morning and jumped around to a couple of places to show what different leavens of the Pharisees were. You know, and there's a, a, really a lot of leavens out there. And maybe what's easier for us to identify, you know, to be aware of is when someone of the world, or maybe if we see something in a movie or if we know this, this guy's an atheist and he comes with a certain ideology to us, or maybe if someone would to approach and say, listen, yeah, I'm a Satanist, I quickly want to tell you something about God. Then we would know, okay, well, I'm not going to listen to this. 
You know, and, the, and there's a lot of false teachings, you know, concerning marriage, concerning sex, concerning singleness, concerning the way we should work, what we should do with our lives. And, and there's just a lot of things, you know, but it's easier to identify those things if it's a worldly source that we get them from. But the, the issue with this passage of Scripture is Jesus is speaking about the Sadducees and the Pharisees, the church leaders, the people that are supposed to represent God. You know, beware of these people because their teachings might lead you astray. Quite alarming, isn't it? You know, and Paul actually writes to the Corinthians church in 2 Corinthians 11, and he speaks to them also about false teachers. And he says, beware because these people will come to you and they will profess to be apostles of Christ. For even Satan himself disguises himself as an angel of light. It's no surprise. So the people are not going to come to you and say, listen, yeah, I quickly want to lead you astray from God. Is it okay if I take five minutes of your time? We're obviously going to say, no, I don't want to listen to this. You know, if Satan himself would show up and quickly tell you he wants to teach you certain things about God. No, we're not going to listen to that because we know that it's false. But the issue is these people will pretend to be good Christians. Apostles of Christ, representing God, and they're going to teach you out of the Bible. The teachings that they give you will come from Scripture. And it's easy to take the Bible, you know, and bend it according to what we would like it to say. You know, but one thing that is true of most false teachings is at the root of it. We see here in 2 Timothy 4 verse 3, it is to suit their own passions. That is at the root of most false teachings, whether it's the preacher or the listener. You know, one of the greatest heresies today is the prosperity gospel. So someone would come and say, listen here guys, I have some good news. God loves you so much that he's willing, if you pay me a thousand rand, to bless you. You see, and, and then people do that for some other weird reason. Because the, the math makes sense. You give me a hundred, I give you ten thousand. The issue is just they never get the ten thousand. But at the root of both these things is the people's own passions. The preacher, he wants prosperity, so that's why he preaches that. But the listener that believes that also wants prosperity. The same passion that leading both astray. Our own passions that will lead us astray. And you see, now, a bit more subtle than that, people do the same with church. You know, call it church shopping. Come to church with a very critical mentality and... And we sit and we, we look at the worship band and the guy that's preaching and the people and the building and the chairs. And whenever something doesn't suit our needs, I'm not saying we are doing that, because obviously the seats would be a no-go. You would have already been gone. But that is what people do. You know, the, the, the chairs are a bit too hard or I don't like the songs that they sing or maybe they sing too long or I don't like what the guy preaches. So they move to the next place. And there they'll stay until they say something that doesn't suit their passions. And then they'll move again because that is consumerism. That is the mentality that we are trapped in, you see. And, and we do much the same with, with God. And that is the, the leaven that I want to address tonight. The greatest issue with, with our God concept these days are people are trying to sell the idea that if you come to church, God will fix your problem. Whatever is the matter, you know, whatever you want to be fixed, you can come to God and He will fix that. You know, actually, this week I was sitting at home and I got a, this invitation of, from a mega church in, in Pretoria. And uh, it was a breakthrough service. 
You know, I've, I've never heard of a breakthrough service, so I thought I, I'll, I'll check it out. What, what's the people going on about? And as I read through the invitation, at the bottom of it is a list. What breakthroughs can you expect? And as I went through the list, you can expect breakthroughs in your business, in your finances, in your health, and in your marriage. So you see, none of it relates to God. No breakthroughs, no relationship with God, no great revelation of God. No, but come to God if, if you want one of these four things to be fixed. We're going to have a breakthrough service. God's going to fix it for you. Now, that is one of the greatest leaven of our times. And if we can go to the next slide, it's the same thing that Jesus addresses here. Matthew 16, verse 1. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees came, and to test him, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. And then the same with Peter. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. You see, that is the issue with that church's invitation. Everything's focused on the things of man. And what's so crazy to me about this passage is just to explain to you the context of where this chapter of Scripture is at. So just before this, Jesus goes and he heals a little demon-possessed girl. So he drives out demons. Then he goes and he heals many people. Cripple, lame, blind, mute. I'm sure there were some guys with headaches as well. But that was the greater miracles. So Jesus heals many people. After that, he goes and he feeds 4,000 people with seven loaves of bread. And now the Pharisees come to him and they say, please show us a sign from heaven that we might believe in you. <laughs> I mean, what more signs do you need than that? I mean, we, we maybe 100 people here tonight, Take the morning service, add that with. So we're about 200 people going to Albany, buy seven loaves of bread. And we won't even feed all of us. Jesus is speaking about 20 times that amount of people. And after that, they still come. You see, because the issue is, all of those signs that Jesus did, it was of no benefit to them. In fact, he was taken away from their ministry because they were the cool guys. All of a sudden, Jesus shows up. He does a lot of signs, but... You know, it's, it's not beneficial for them. So that's why they come and they ask him, but show us a sign. Do something for us. Show, show me a miracle in my life. Give me something that's beneficial for me. Then I will believe in you. You see, and, and, and we many times do the same, you know, but you see, that is the problem when we approach God with the things of, mind, of man in mind. Whenever we approach God, you know, we should do it with the clear conscience, with the things of God in mind. Lord, what is your perspective? What is it that, that you want? Before we come and give our ideas to Jesus of what, of what we want him to do. Because sooner or later you'll find yourself in a breakthrough service. Giving some people money for your marriage. <laughs> and, and you know, we laugh, but it works, you know. And what, so what are the things of man? The things of man is health, wealth, and prosperity. You see, God is not against that. He, he doesn't want us to be poor and ill and sick and, and miserable all our lives. No, He wants us to be healthy. He wants us to be prosperous. He wants us to be wealthy. But not when we place those things above God. Say thanks to Tani Tilda as well for bringing that word. Matthew 6, verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Then these things will be added unto you as well. Because when we seek God first, it's God that we want. 
But when we come to God with these things in mind, we are elevating the gifts of God above the giver. And that is idolatry. Because we're not really seeking God, we are seeking what He can do for us. And we see that many times, you know, people coming to God, you know, they want this or they want that, or, or something happens in their lives and all of a sudden they're at church. Many people encounter God then, so let's just say that as well. But many people, as soon as that thing is fixed, or as soon as God heals that area of their life, they're gone again. Because they never really sought God. They wanted God to, to sort out that area in their lives. You see, the same with, with the disciples. They're so focused on the physical things, again, wondering about bread. They also forget. He just fed a lot of people with basically no bread. Don't worry about your physical needs. You see, and we should see first what we are feeding ourselves of spiritually before we look at the physical things. And that takes us to point number one. Beware of building your faith on the things of man. And this goes two ways. The first is, be careful of building your faith on seeking God for the things of man. Going to God and saying to Him that if He gives us certain earthly things, then we'll serve Him. And the second is, beware of building your faith about what people say about God. People's conceptions about God, their teachings about God, both of those. Because the issue with the first one is, is whenever we come to God and we're seeking a sign, we're basically placing God on trial. Did you know that? Because we're saying to God, Lord, I want this, or I want that, or I want you to come and heal this, or fix that. So come, let's see if you are who you say you are. Let's see if you are God, because I'm coming to you, I have a problem, and you can fix it. So let's see if, if, if God is really who He says He is. Because if He fixes it, then He's then God. But if He doesn't fix it, then I don't believe He's God. You see, and, and true faith never does that. There's this beautiful story in Daniel 3. I think many of us know it. We, we know it from when we were young. It's Sadrach, Mesach, and Abednego. Does that ring any names? Or as uh, Todd White would call them, Rag, Shack, and Benny from VeggieTales. You know, the kids' kid story. But in Daniel 3, Emperor Nebuchadnezzar, he raises a great golden image, and he tells everybody that they should worship this image, or he's going to throw them into the burning fiery furnace. Rakshak and Benny, they rock up there. They don't worship the image. The people get very offended and they bring them to the king and say, these three guys are not bowing down to your image. And the king tells them, okay, listen here, guys, I'm going to give you one more chance. I'm going to play some music. If you don't worship the image, we're going to throw you into the furnace. And what do they respond? They say, king, we just want to tell you that our God is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. But even if he doesn't, we won't worship this image. Isn't that a beautiful illustration of faith? I'm seeking God and I know he can. I know he can heal my marriage. I know he can give me prosperity. I know he can give me wealth. I know he can take away that sickness. But even if he doesn't, I'll still worship him. And that is true faith. That is how we know we are seeking the real Jesus, not based upon what he can give, but because of who he is. You know, because it, it's such a sweet place in our lives when we encounter that Jesus that we know, irrelevant of everything else, he is all satisfying. And I know that even if he gives me that job, even if he heals my marriage, and even if he takes away that disease, if I have those things but I don't have him, then I have nothing. 
That is what encountering the real Jesus leads us to. And it's just beautiful. You see, so I want to ask us tonight, you know, why are we here? Is it because we, we want God to, to do certain things for us? And please, I'm not saying don't pray for those things. I'm not saying don't bring those things before God. But let's just make sure that we're seeking God first. And then the second question, you know, what, why do we believe what we believe? Where did you get your idea of Jesus from? Is it because your dad said that your grandfather said that his father said? Or is it an encounter that you had with God yourself? You see, because the problem is that it could be a, a good view of Jesus. You know, none of those people, when he told him, who do the people say the Son of Man is? Nobody said a bad view of, of Christ to them. No, he said John the Baptist, who did great things for God. Elijah, great things for God. Jeremiah did great things for God. One of the prophets, all of those people did great things for God. But the problem is, none of those people were the king of the world that demanded that you lay down your life to follow him. And that is what we do today. Now, he's a great man of God and he does some cool signs and he heals us and he saves us. But we don't get to that place where we realize, okay, but this is the son of the living God. He desires of us to lay down our lives so that we can follow him. You see, we, we need to move past flesh and blood, the things that people expect God to do, but also the things that people say about Jesus. Let's look at the next slide. This is the question that we need to answer ourselves. But he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And then again, if, if our answer is the same as what the world says about Jesus, then we're in trouble. Because the context of, of this passage of Scripture is they found themselves in Caesarea Philippi. Now, this place was just full of worshipping idols. They worshipped the Greek god Pan. There was great temples for all, all sorts of, of, of um, false gods. They even worshipped the, the Caesar, Augustus Caesar. They worshipped him. And so these people say that Jesus is some prophet or a good man. But our answer cannot be the same. You see, and, and, and we really need to ask ourselves, you know, what I've heard people say about Jesus, is that what I've built my faith upon? Is that the foundation of my faith? Or have I had an encounter with Jesus where I can say that I've encountered the real Jesus? Not because people have said, or not because people say that he can. You know, I, I was stuck there once, and I, and I knew from a young age that Jesus came and, and he saved us, and he died for us many years ago, because that is what my father said, and that is what his father said. But never encountered him with myself. Never will the knowledge of someone else make you saved. You have to encounter Jesus for yourself. You see, and the idea of Jesus might also be a good one. But is it the true one? You see, and what I mean by that is a little, little bit of leaven leavens the whole lump. So we can have 80% of God. This is true. But that 20% that isn't true will eventually creep in. And it will lead us astray. A little bit of leaven, leaven's the alarm. Same with the sin in our lives. If we leave certain sin unconfessed and we don't walk in accountability, it will eventually creep in and we will fall. That is just the just of it. So to ask ourselves, you know, where did we get our view of God? Because look where Simon got his. Matthew 16, verse 16. Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood... It's not revealed this to you, but my Father is in heaven. 
And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You see, we need to get our revelation of God from God. And it sounds maybe a bit difficult, but God says, 1 Corinthians 2, from verse 10 onwards, Paul actually explaining to the Corinthian church something about spiritual wisdom. And he says to them, but God has given us his spirit so that we can freely know the things given us by God. You know, just before that he says, but who knows the thoughts of man except the spirit of man that is within him? So no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. And then he says, but we would not receive the spirit of this world, but we received the spirit that is from God that we might freely know the things given us by God. We need to spend time in the word, in the presence of God. We need to encounter scripture for ourselves. I'm just so blessed, you know, Aubrey and Bianca, they just shared as well at intercession. You just don't feel the same if you don't spend time in God's word. We need that to revitalize us, and that is where we need to get our idea of Jesus from. You see, and on that revelation, as we spend time in the word of God, and, and we realize that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, on that revelation, Jesus builds his church. You see, that is why the Jehovah's Witnesses cannot be the church of God. The Seventh-day Adventist cannot be the church of God because it's not founded on that revelation. We can walk around and say Jesus is a friend of sinners. We can walk around and, and say a lot of things, but if we don't believe and encounter that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, we're also not the church. And at intercession, I actually ask God, you know, Lord, this is such a beautiful community, and, and why do we get it right? And he said, it's because many of us have answered this question correctly. You are the Christ. You are the Son of God. And the Father has revealed to many of us sitting here the identity of Jesus. And what I'm saying here tonight is not that we, we don't have the correct picture of Jesus, but we should guard it. Because we are following Christ. But like Werner said, in 20 years when Hannah comes back, will we still be following the real Jesus? To make sure that someone does not lead us astray. And that takes us to point number two. We need to move past flesh and blood. You see, Jesus trumps every human tradition or teaching that st stands in contradiction with him. And a lot of people, and it's so sad, you know, they, they're so stuck in tradition. They're so stuck on what flesh and blood has taught them, you know, throughout the generations that you can't go to them, even with the Bible, and tell them, yeah, listen, you guys, someone has led you astray. Look here. It's not what Scripture says. They'll get so angry and so offended because that's what they were taught. Struggle to move past flesh and blood. And it's going to take of us to lay down our pride and to humble ourselves to move past it. Because it's not easy to say, okay, what I've been building my faith my whole life, the foundation of my faith, I have to admit now that that's wrong. It's not correct. So we need to have grace with that people as well and a compassion. Because it's difficult to say, okay, listen, you know, what I've believed my whole life, what people have told me, what tradition has showed me is wrong. And a small example, and I think many of us maybe have encountered it, but same with, with Anna's baby dedication this morning. Why do you dedicate the baby? Why don't you baptize her? It's not what Scripture says. But tradition and man has taught those people that for so long that it's such a difficult struggle for them to let go of that. You know, and you can explain to them that if someone takes the Bible and they go sit on an island and they've never heard about Christianity 
and they read through the Bible, they never come to the conclusion to baptize a baby. They say, yeah, that makes sense, but tradition. My opa it. My grandfather, they, they did it this way. My father did it that way. And I will do it this way as well. But we need to move past that. We need to encounter Jesus for ourselves. You see, we cannot rely on the teachings of man. Paul actually writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2 verse 15. And he says, do your best to show yourself to God a worker approved, rightly handling the word of God. And we all are called to do that. We, we cannot go to heaven one day and say to God, no, but someone taught me this or someone taught me that. She needs to say no, but the word of God was there. We need to ourselves be workers approved, rightly handling the word of God for ourselves and also for those that we lead. And we all are called to lead people to Jesus. And we can only do that if we have the right idea of who Jesus actually is. You know, and also, you know, who knows people like this? Some people, they chase conference after conference. Speaker after speaker. No, they've heard the Holy Spirit is in America. He's not in South Africa this week. They need to go there because he's going to do mighty things there. Or oh, this, specific, this specific person, he, he can handle the word of God. I think you can go speak to Yanda and Maria. Whenever you get trapped knowing that a certain person has the right revelation of God, no one else does. They explain to you how, how destructive that can be in someone's life as they have first-hand experience of what that can do. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't listen to people, because obviously God has made the pulpit central to church, because we should listen to people preaching, we should read good books, but we should be like the Bereans in Acts 17, beautiful passage of scripture. It says that now the Bereans, the Jews, were more noble than those in Thessalonica, because they, they accepted the word with all eagerness, but they examined the scripture daily to see if these things were so. They listened to the apostles preaching eagerly. Yes, tell us about Jesus. But we're going to go home and we're going to take our Bibles and we're going to see if it was so. And then it says in verse 12 that therefore many of them believed. Many of them truly believed because they did not receive their revelation only from the information of man, but from the revelation of God. And you see, we also need to move to that place, away from the information of man to the revelation of God. And the reason I say so is because imagine this, okay, I'm coming today and I'm going to tell you the wall is, okay, no, that's too obviously going to tell me I'm lying. Um, but but I, I, I tell you something. Tomorrow Werner comes and he says something different. So now you're stuck with the issue. Okay, but who do we believe? And 10 to 1, the one that suits your passions best. I, I like what Werner said. I'm going to go with that rather. And he was on Survivor and he's famous. So I'm going to go <laughs> with what Werner said. Maybe next time if Jan's on TV, I'll believe him. But for now, I'm staying with Werner. A couple of weeks goes past. Here comes another guy. No, no, no. It's not like that. It's actually like this. Again, you need to choose. Who am I going to believe? But if you went home... Studied your, study the word of God and God gives you that revelation. Nobody can take that away from you. Nobody's going to make you choose again because you've received that revelation from the hand of God. And nobody's going to make you doubt in it again. And that is beautiful. So I, I really encourage us, you know, if, you, if you go home tonight to make it practical, write down a list of basic doctrines and beliefs that we have. Maybe take salvation, take baptism, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
And then go and write next to each one of those the scriptures that inform your belief about those things. You, know, you don't have to remember the exact scripture, but at least the phrase. The Bible says this somewhere. It's okay to say the Bible say. You don't have to remember exactly where it is. But also then be honest with yourselves. If you read something in a book, say, okay, this belief I mainly got from a book. Or this belief I mainly got from a preacher. And then go and examine the scriptures to see if those things are so. To make sure that we are not led astray. To make sure that we get our revelation from God. The issue is that it's going to take a bit of effort. It's not easy. It takes quite a while. Because the scripture is quite dense. That's why many people don't read through the Bible in a week. It takes long. But not that long. You see, whenever we encounter the real revelation of Jesus, instead of asking God to give us something, we will give Him everything and allow Him to lead us through our lives. Because look what happens in the next verse. Matthew 16, 21. From that time, Jesus began to show His disciples that He must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus told His disciples... If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. You see, in that first verse, Jesus is also explaining to Peter why he came. Because he said to Peter, you're setting your mind on the things of man, not on the things of God. Because what Peter believed was the Messiah that was to come is going to deliver them from Roman oppression. The Jews are no longer going to be captive under the rule of the Romans. But Jesus is going to come. Is going to free them and they're going to be a healthy and wealthy nation once more on the earth. And Jesus is just telling him, no, that's not why I came. I'm coming to lay down my life. And expect of those who follow me to do the same. To also lay down your life. I'm not here to give you what you are looking for. Or what you think you're looking for rather. Because what you're actually looking for is Jesus. But what you think you're looking for. I'm not here to provide that. I'm laying down my life for you, and I expect you to do the same. You see, when we encounter the real Jesus, also can we represent him rightly to the world? Because he says in Mark 10 verse 45, I did not come to serve, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. You see, in every single aspect where Jesus calls us to do something, he will set the example. He sets the example, he calls us to follow. He's not going to ask us to lay down our lives if he didn't do it himself. He's not going to ask us to obey God if he didn't obey God. He's not going to ask us to reach out to people if he didn't do that. He's not going to ask us to heal the sick if he didn't do that. He's not going to ask us to eat with the sinners and those outcasted by the world if he didn't do that. He sets the example in literally everything in life. It's beautiful. You see, this is where some people, they, they don't like this, this Jesus. See, they like the, the Jesus, that saviour and friend. He comes to save me. I knew he laid down his life, but I don't know he calls me to do the same. So I'm just going to call him saviour and friend. That, that's enough. You see, but he's also teacher and also Lord. If we accept him as saviour, obviously if we want him to save our lives, we need to give him our lives. Makes sense. The mechanic, the mechanic can't fix your car if you don't take him your car. You need to give it to him for him to fix it. Same with Jesus. If we want him to save our lives, we need to give him our lives. Then he becomes teacher, and so now he instructs us through life. 
And then we see that he is Lord. We need to obey what he says. And only then does Jesus say, okay, because you do what I tell you, I call you my friends. It's not selective. We need all of those. And also we need also to know that Jesus is Savior and friend because some people run around with the concept of God that he just wants to hit you with a stick and burn you with something. It's very frightening. I'm scared of those people. No, he is. And you see, when we encounter this Jesus, and, and it's actually so beautiful because it seems harsh you know, to give him all that we are, but actually only when we give him our lives do we truly find our lives. Look at what the next slide says. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? What shall a man give in return for his soul? And it's the same as last week's sermon. We, we can try and seek the things of the world, and the beautiful as Estelle worship as well. Come and drink from the well that is God. Everything else will leave you dry and unsatisfied. We can gain the whole world, but we will forfeit our souls. It will not be sufficient. Only when we give our lives to Jesus do we truly find real life, real satisfaction, real joy. And it seems hard, but it's beautiful. You see, and the conservative view of Jesus, they also don't like this Jesus. They sing that, but they don't live it out. We'll sing about it, but we won't live it out. And that's also how we can know if we're building our faith upon what someone said and not what we ourselves encountered. Because if we're building our faith upon what someone said, we'll also sing this, but we won't practically live it out. And then we ask, but what, what is truly the best for us? You know, and someone becomes radically saved and God calls them to go and do missionary work overseas. Leave all that you are behind and go overseas. And then he goes to people that has been Christians their whole life and he tells them about the story. And they say, no, we would advise against this. First start to work. First get yourself some income, some savings for if you come back. First get yourself a house. Don't just leave everything and go. You see, there's this story about a guy in America, Kyle Eidelman, and he's a preacher. And uh, one of a lady phones him and she says, no, I really want to go and drink some coffee with you and chat about my son. He's excited because this guy is radically saved. So he's thinking to himself, I'm going to pitch there, have some coffee, and the lady's going to say, thank you so much you know, for, for walking around with my son. He's really on fire for Jesus. But he gets there and she's mad. Yo, she's mad. And she tells him, you have to go speak to my son and tell him he's taking this whole Jesus thing way too far. My son actually believes that Jesus demands everything of us. And he looks at the lady and says, yeah, that's pretty much correct. That is what Jesus expects. You see, this lady had a wrong God concept and it led to her, not to this place of giving everything to Jesus, but in, in fact, getting mad at her son for doing that. Not knowing that a son can have everything in the world. The right wife, great number of kids. I don't know, they say two and a half is a good number. <laughs> Never know how that works. Two and a half kids. Maybe they should always have a baby. But two and a half kids, great job, nice house and a car. And if he doesn't have Jesus, that should make us sad. Now, we should say that for our kids, we want... Only Jesus. Even if they have the most troubling life, but they have Jesus, I'll choose that road for them. 
But if they have everything that this world has to offer, but they don't find Jesus. Sorry, don't want that for them. Want them to encounter Jesus. And that takes us to the last point. With the real Jesus, it is all or nothing. You see, the Jesus of tradition only demands one day. That's why some people like him more. He says, only come on a Sunday, wear something nice, pretend that you behave throughout the week, sing a couple of songs, go home, and then you can do what you want. Sounds like a nice deal, the Jesus of tradition. And that is the same hypocrisy against what, the, what Jesus warned the disciples about, about the Pharisees. Do not be hypocrites. The Jesus of tradition demands one day, I want your whole life. But it's only then that we truly find love. You see, whenever we encounter the real Jesus, one of two things will happen. We will either accept him, walk away joyfully as we surrender everything we have, or we will walk away sad. You see, there's people that encounter the real Jesus, but they can't live up to the call. The rich young ruler, Luke 18, comes to Jesus and says, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus, strangely enough, tells him to obey the commandments. And he says, but I've done all this from a young age. And Jesus says, one thing do you still lack? In verse 22, he tells him, go sell all that you have, give to the poor, come and follow me. In other words, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. And the rich young man walked away sad because he had many possessions. You see, and then Jesus doesn't run after him and say, okay, wait, wait, wait. Let's start with 10%. And after a week, we'll chat again. Or maybe 50. No, not 50. Okay, wait, sorry, sorry. 10%. 10% is fine. You see, God doesn't negotiate or bargain with us. It's all or nothing. He doesn't stand in a queue. He doesn't wait until we first have that gift or until we have that job or that thing and then we'll start following him with all our lives. He, he doesn't wait. He doesn't bargain. It's all or nothing. But it's the gracious, the most gracious thing God can do. Because the moment we give everything, then we realize, oh, I have everything I need. Because he is both the gift and the giver. He is the one that truly satisfies. You see, if I can sum up the gospel in two verses of scripture, it would be 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14 and 15. Where Paul writes and he says, the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all has died. And he died for all so that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sakes died and was raised again. That is beautiful. We experience his love and therefore we know we're no longer living for ourselves, but we're living for him. And on that note, let's stand and pray.